0: at time Judah left his brothers and went to stay with a man with a man of Adullam named Hirah then Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shuah. he married her and lay with her she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. Er. she conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan she gave birth to still another son and named him, named him Sheila. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfil your duty to her, as a brother-in-law, to produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the, in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, "'Live as a widow in your father's house,' Until my, until my son, Shelah, grows up, for he thought he may, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep, and to his friend, Hira, the Adal- Adalmite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat down at the entrance to Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though she- Sheila had now grown up, She had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realising that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give give to me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll give you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulmite in order to get his pledge back from the woman. But he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enium? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law Tamer is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out she sent a message to her father-in-law I am pregnant by the man who owns these she said and she added see if you recognize whose seal and cord the staff are. Judah recognized them and said she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son Sheila and he he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, So this is how you have, been, how you have broken out. And he was named Peraz. And then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was given the name Azira. Thanks, Ben.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. When's the last time you've read that story? Have you read it before? Have you, you know this story? What's this story all about? Really, what is it about? What was the Holy Spirit thinking that He would include this passage in the scriptures for us to learn from? It's a good question, isn't it? Two people are put to death. Because of their irresponsibility, their sexual immorality. One is almost uh, severely tortured to death. And then there are two babies born at the end. What is going on? More importantly, how relevant is that for us today? We as a family at home have been going through the Book of Genesis, and I must say we've learnt a lot. I think Genesis tells us a lot, and we've been challenged a lot. You know, we've been discussing and are still discussing um, what Genesis tells us. You know, the whole story of creation, for example, brings up lots of questions. The story of the flood, you know, it's it's a big story. How did all that happen? And then there's the curly questions like why did God hate Esau and love Jacob? Uh, good questions. And I think it's good to think through all these stories in Genesis and indeed the Bible uh, in a way that God is trying to reveal to us his plan and purposes. Because The tendency is to take these stories and imitate them, you know? These are good moral stories. There is a lot to learn from that, and we should imitate that in our lives, you know? I think that's the tendency for us to do that, you know? But where would you do that in this passage? Here we have Judah, you know, the great-grandson of Abraham, who was told that through his family, God would save the world, okay? So one of his descendants was going to be the saviour of the world and God told uh, Abraham and indeed his descendants you know, that they were to walk in truth, justice and righteousness. It's a big call. So the question is, where would you follow that in this story? Where do you see it? You know? Who would you imitate? Judah and his exploits? Hamer and her ways? You know? Is sexual entrapment something to aspire to? You know? Is even incest for that matter? Is that yeah, despite the circumstances, is that something we should do? Is that inspiring? I hardly think so. So then the question is, what what's the point of this story? What's the theme in this story? Well, I believe. What we find in this story is the theme of the whole Bible. What you see in this chapter is reflected also in the book of Genesis and indeed throughout the scriptures. Friends, we have to realise that there is a battle going on. It is the Christ-Satan battle. Ever since sin came into the world, the battle is on and it's raging God promised, and Martin alluded to that this morning, You know that he is building his kingdom, and indeed he is. He's building his church through Jesus Christ, and the evil one is doing his best to prevent it. And so the battle rages. It rages through the whole scriptures, right through the history of mankind, even to today. Do you realise that? You know? Do you realise that you are in the thick of it? the Christ-Satan battle. It's not only in Iraq and in Syria and all those horrible places. It's right here. Satan would persuade us to tear down our barns and build bigger ones so that we can take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. And Jesus would challenge us to take up our cross and follow him. Can you see that? Can you see that in your life? Friends, I tell you, Satan is doing his best to devour you. If there's a moral in the story that uh, Martin just read to us, the moral would be, you can't, say, you can't be saved by morals. I think that's what you could conclude. conclude. That's the real message of the Bible, isn't it? You are not saved by your moral behaviour. Rather, as the passage would confront us, it's how the grace of God breaks out into the lives of people. People who have taken matters into their own hands. At the end of the passage of uh, Genesis 38... Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah, has twins to Judah. One of them is named Perez. And Perez means breakthrough. And I believe in this passage there are three breakthroughs. There's the breakthrough of Tamar. There's the breakthrough of Judah. And there's the breakthrough of Perez, which ultimately points to the greatest of all breakthroughs And that is the arrival of Jesus. Right, back to the passage. Tamar marries the older son of Judah, Ur is his name, who's a wicked person, we're told. And the Lord puts him to death. We don't know what he did or how bad he was. Or we know that he died as a result of God's judgment. And then we are told that Tamar marries Judah's second son, Onan. And for basically the same reasons, uh, the same thing happens. Onan also dies as a result of God's judgment. Then Judah tells Tamar to live at her father's house until Shelah, the third son, grows up. Why does he say that? Well, Tamar, you'll have to appreciate, is about 15, 16 years of age. Okay? They married pretty young in those days. Uh, very young, really, right after puberty. And when Tamar realises that, uh, and you can tell that in the later of the chapter, that she's not going to get Shelah, the third son of Judah, as her husband, she's probably about 19 or 20. Just think about that. Twice a widow. Twice a widow at about 20. And because she is twice a widow, she would have been a very vulnerable and a very needy person. Because that's how it was in society in them days. It wasn't a free market economy, you know, where she could um, get an education, find a job and sustain herself. Not at all. Tamar was a widow and she was not in a position for another man to marry her. And she was very dependent on family. And thankfully, that's how it was in those days. You can read that in the chapter. That God had provided a provision for family to sustain vulnerable, vulnerable people like Tamar. To protect. To preserve. And that was Judah's responsibility. He was to be the defender, the provider for Tamar being the father-in-law. And as the text would reveal to us, it was his responsibility to find another husband for her. That was his obligation, and verse 11a, if you read it, tells us that on outward appearances, he was going to do that. So what does he say? He says, go to your father's house and live there. In other words, go to your mum and dad. Sounds good, doesn't it? And seek the comfort of your parents. But verse 11b would tell us what his real motive is. He didn't want Tamar to marry Shiloh. He might end up like his brothers. So what's going on? Judah is in denial, isn't he? Judah is blaming her for the death of his sons. And Judah doesn't want to admit what his sons were really like. He doesn't want to admit what sort of father he had been. And he doesn't want to admit their corruption, their irresponsibility towards Tamar. Instead, he hides that. And what he really means is this woman is bad news. If she marries my third son, Shelah, he too may die. Get this woman out of my life. Go to your parents. Don't call us, we'll call you. Heard that before? Don't call us, we'll call you. Can you imagine how Tamar would have felt in her situation? Completely rejected. Rejected by her husband's and now rejected by her father-in-law, humanly speaking, her life potentially is over. Not worth living. But God's working, isn't he? The Christ-Satan battle is going on, remember that? Tamer's not stupid. She realises what's going on, and after some time she goes into action. Sheila has become of marriageable age and she realises that and when she hears that Judah had lost his wife and after grieving was now coming to her neck of the woods, she springs into action. She takes off her, um, her, what do they call that, those grieving gowns or whatever they have, what they wear when they are mourning and she disguises herself as a prostitute and waits for Judah Judah saw her, desired her, and had sex with her. And as a token for services rendered, he leaves her his seal, his cord, and his staff as a pledge for a young goat he promises in payment. What Judah gives her is quite significant, really. It's like today you would leave your wallet as a token, you know, with all your credit cards, your, all, all your identification papers, all those important documents that represent you. Yeah. And Tamar keeps it, keeps the seal, the cord, and the staff, all of which represent Judah. And then she goes home. Well, what is she doing? What is she after? And the text would tell us, and if you can find it, she's after one thing. She's simply after justice. Tamar does something you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. She cleverly uses double standards that appear in this text to her advantage. That is, sexual double standard. You know, one standard for man. One standard for women, you know. Notice that Judah had sex whenever he wanted. You know? How did Tomah, how did Tamar know that when Judah saw her on the side of the road that he would go to her and propose to her? How did Tamar know that? Her whole strategy is based on that knowledge. And she can count on that. This was the way he was. This was his character. Sex with whom he wanted. But the moment he finds out that she's had sex outside marriage he wants to kill her. That's a double standard isn't it? If I've ever seen one, that is double standard. She uses his promiscuous lifestyle against him. Why? Simply for the cause of justice. She doesn't only struggle with uh, the double standard of Judah regarding sex, but she's also struggling with her status as a rejected widow and is simply seeking justice. And if you read your Bible, it has a fair bit to say about that. Judah has reneged on his responsibility to care for his daughter-in-law, his grieving daughter-in-law. You see, Tamar had been rejected, cast aside, left to fend for herself, and go. And that goes blatantly against how God would want you to live, right? What He intended for His people. Yeah. Today it's so different, isn't it? You know, we live in a world today where we can educate ourselves, uh, we can get ahead uh, buy a job, or if, if things get tough, there's social security, and we get support. But not for Tamer. She had nothing of that. For her to be included, accepted and felt worthy, she was dependent on a husband. Or in this case, a father-in-law. When God sees that you don't honour your responsibilities in seeking justice for people He doesn't call it stinginess. No, he calls it injustice. And I noticed that the question that Carl asked James was also in relation to that, to seek justice as an elder. Judah is depriving Tamar of her right, of what alone he can give her. And he relegates her to a dead-end life. Friends, would you stand for that? Tamer doesn't, because she's simply after justice. She's not after payback, stick it up in. No. She's after justice. And at the end of the text, Judah realizes that when he says, "She is more righteous." than me another way of putting that is she is more just than me when Judah thinks about what uh, Tamar is requesting pleading if you like and presents the evidence he realises that she is more just what Tamar does is very radical and very purposeful. Well, you might ask the question, what she did, is that right? You know? Is sexual entrapment right? Is misleading someone into sex through prostitution right? That's a good question. But notice that Judas says, she is more righteous than I am. He doesn't say, she is righteous, I am guilty. No, he says, she is more righteous than I am. She has sinned, he is saying, but I've done the greater sin. If you can turn it around, you can say, uh, she's guilty, but I am guiltier. I'm far more guilty She has done sexual sin but I have done social injustice and my sin overshadows hers. And I believe that this passage, this breakthrough is teaching us that social injustice is a big sin. And Judah of all people should have known better. See, social injustice is abhorrent in the sight of God. Be it in society, be it in the church, be it wherever. God hates it. And time and time again he warns us in the scriptures about that. To look after the widows, the fatherless, the marginalised. Friends, where do we stand in all this? If we have the means, the education, the ability to include those who've been rejected, thrown on the scrap heap, if you like, and don't act, we have a big issue with God on this point. You know, We live in Australia, and life's pretty good, isn't it? By comparison to the rest of the world, I think we have it very good here. But if we have no compassion, no no cause for justice to those less fortunate than ourselves, asylum seekers, refugees, boat people, anyone who's in great need, our sin would overshadow those who we think live uh, morally deviant before God. Tamer goes after justice and she's right. Now let's look at another breakthrough, and that's the breakthrough of Judah in this story. Judah offers a goat for his services. We are told he, and, and not able to find Tamar, who, who disguised herself as a prostitute, uh, forfeits his seal, his cord and his staff. And in fear of becoming a laughingstock, he goes home. And forgets about it. Now, when news comes to Tamar, uh, no, sorry, when news comes to Judah that Tamar is guilty of prostitution and is now pregnant, Judah simply says, Take her and burn her. See, what Judah does here is extremely hateful. And history would tell us that burning people alive is reserved for the most heinous of crimes. Why in the world would Judah demand that? To torture as well as death? The other day I read about uh, the situation in Iraq, about the Islamic State coming across this village and they encountered some... Christians and they forced them to convert to Islam and they didn't. So they gouged their eyes out. And then they forced him again to convert to convert to Islam. And they didn't. So they burnt him alive. Burnt him alive. What possessed Judah to command the same? and to have Tamar burnt alive. Well, verse 11b helps us uh, to think about that. See, he needed to believe bad things about Tamar in order to justify uh, what happened to his own sons, you know. He lost his first two sons and blamed her, and so he convinces himself uh, in order to hide his failings as a father and the failings of his son and that it festers up within him thinking, no way. Is she getting my third? And see what this produces in him, the hatred. And now that he knows that Tamar is pregnant, through prostitution, he's confirmed in his thinking. I knew it, he's saying. Burn her. She's a whore. I knew it all along. What's this telling us? Is Judah such a horrible person? He's about to take a woman, or really a girl, who's innocent, has done nothing to him or his sons or anyone else, and he wants to torture her to death. What we need to appreciate here, friends, is that if he went ahead and did this, it's not only that Tamar who would die but he too would suffer immensely and probably die. You know? If you do something that evil and that unjust, you either have to spend the rest of your life um, confirming that in your mind, justifying your actions, trying to convince yourself that what you did was absolutely right, or you repent And then you would have to live with the consequences of it all. Life would hardly be worth living, would it? But for the grace of God. Why is Judah about to do such a terrible thing? Well, friends, he has in his heart what we all have in our heart. Every human heart is flawed. The potential in all of us is frightening. When Tamar is about to be dragged to the fire, she sends a message to Judah. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. See if you recognise. See if you recognise whose cord, whose seal and whose staff these are. And the word recognise just doesn't mean to see, to observe. It means to think it through. To discern. Work it out. And so Tamer forces by God's grace not just to recognise his stuff and what they represent, but that he would recognise himself. Do you recognise yourself? Do you see who you are? Do you see what you've become? Do you see your sexual hypocrisy? Do you see your hardness of heart? Do you see the delusion? Do you see that murderous hatred in your heart? Do you see where you're headed? And by God's grace, he does. For that word comes up again in the text, in verse 26... Judah recognised them. He recognised himself. Judah has a breakthrough, doesn't he? He's about to go under. And the Spirit of God enables him to recognise himself. And he declares, she is more righteous than I am. Friends, Judah had a spiritual awakening the breakthrough of Tamar would tell us that social justice is very important and the second breakthrough of Judah would tell us you must be born again Judah grew up in a privileged household his great grandfather Abraham and together with all of them they knew the things of God He had a great start in life. And yet, look at what his heart was capable of. And he, like us, needs a breakthrough. A breakthrough by God. An interruption, if you like, in your life. In order that you recognise yourself. And your great need. So then... How do you know if you've had a spiritual awakening? Well, this text would help us. So that when you discover for yourself, for example, that people who you used to despise, that you look down on, the people that you've dismissed in your life, you discover that you know better than they are. Matter of fact, you're worse. Much worse. You discover that your own self-righteousness, your pride will get you nowhere and that you're just as bad as those having sex with prostitutes. You're worse. If you're discovering that, then you're well on your way to a spiritual awakening. Friends, if you look at me and think I'm perfect, I'm not. I work with a guy. I have been for the last three weeks. And he takes every bit of my patience home with him every day. I don't know what he does with it, whether he puts it in the fridge or the dog has it, but he takes it home every day. What do I do? When my patience is gone, I categorise people. I judge them. I dismiss them. I hate it. And I'm so sorry that I do that. Because I'm no better than him. Matter of fact, I'm worse. Friends, I think we can all relate to that. Categorising people, writing them off, dismissing them. I hate it. A spiritual awakening often comes through painful experiences. You know, it all went wrong for Judah back in chapter thirty seven. Back in chapter 37, Judah and his brothers, uh, the sons of Leah, always hated the fact that Jacob loved Rachel and the children he had with her. They hated that. And so when the opportunity came along, they decided that they would kill Joseph. It was Judah's plan, by the way, that they do that. they sold him off to slavery we know that don't we he went to Egypt sold him off he ended up a slave in Egypt and what did they do they killed a goat sprinkled blood on it and presented it to his father do you recognize this and his father said it's my son Joseph's coat some wild animal has killed him The irony of this story is that Judah deceives his father with a young goat. And it turns back on him. Tamar deceives Judah with a young goat. And says to his father, Judah says to his father, do you recognise this coat? And Tamar says, by your life do you recognise yourself? See it all went horribly wrong in chapter 37. But by chapter 38, the grace of God, he gets pulled back. And towards the end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 45, there is an amazing moment where Judah and his brothers are standing before uh, the governor of Egypt, and it's Joseph, and they don't recognise him. And Joseph is testing him, testing his brothers to see if they are still still the same hard-hearted, hateful people that he once knew. He's testing them. And he says to them, I'm going to keep Benjamin here. The rest of you go home back to your father. And they know that if that was the case, their father would die. Losing two sons. But what does Judah say? Take me instead. Let me be the slave. I'll give up my whole life. I'll do what it takes. Please let them take Benjamin home, back to his father. And that's when Joseph says, do you recognise me? I'm Joseph, your long lost brother. Something's happened to you. You're not the same Judah I once knew. What's happened to you? God's been working in you, hasn't he? Can you see the Christ-Satan battle weaving through this story? Judah needed a radical transformation in his life like we all do. But in this case, Judah needed this big interruption in his life that he would be the way through which Jesus would come into the world. And that's the third breakthrough. The third breakthrough in this chapter is the breakthrough of Perez, Perez broke through ahead of his emerging brother, twin brother, into this world to be in the lineage of Jesus. God saw to that. Read it in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Perez is mentioned there, Judah is mentioned there and Tamar is mentioned there. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit had radically changed Judah. Why? That he would be part of God's plan that ultimately the great Judah of all would come. Even through incest. Through sinful behaviour. The battle's on, friends. Through sinful and sexual immorality, Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world through the loins of Judah. The Holy Spirit had shaped Judah that he would be prepared to sacrifice his life for his young brother. Which is a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for his brothers, his people, you and I. Can you appreciate that? Can you appreciate how God is working in order to fill his plans and purposes in the life of Judah, in the life of Tamar? But more importantly, can you appreciate that in your life? Have you surrendered to allow God to break through into your life that you would see the great need for justice? Has the Holy Spirit broken through to have you realised the depth of your sin, your arrogance, your hypocrisy, your sexual immorality? Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and your heart to recognise the ultimate Judah, the lion of Judah, Jesus? That you would know and that you are assured that he has the authority, the willingness to say to you, despite your sin, you are righteous. I trust that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this story in the Bible that would remind us, Lord, uh, of this broken world we live in. And yet, Lord, it reminds us of the Christ-Satan battle that is going on, not only in this passage, but also in our lives. Just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Father, how you have broken through in the life of Tamar and in the life of Judah and that you ensured that Paris would break through and that the line of Jesus would be completed but also Lord that you have broken through in our lives Father help us to recognise that more help us Lord to know the depth of our sin And that we would be careful in the way we live, in the way we deal with others, in the way we categorise, the way we judge. Father, help us to realise that we are in great need of your forgiveness. So Lord, thank you for the ultimate victory that Jesus has won on that cross for us. And that we stand righteous. Because of him. So Lord, thank you. For all that you are. And for all that you promise. Lord, stir us all the more. To live humbly before you. For Jesus' sake. And the gospel. Amen.